turn in it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we're continuing our series on the seven Christian virtues that have been a particular fruit uh, of God's grace in the history of our denomination. We want these virtues to continue. We want them to grow in our lives as we embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. So today, the virtue that we'll be looking at is gratitude. And for that, we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 as our guiding text. So let's jump right into it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me pray. Father, we sit under your holy word this morning with the Spirit present to give us understanding and with the Son interceding for us through his atoning work on the cross. We are fortunate. We are blessed this morning by your generosity. We ask that you meet each one of us where we are. You know the hearts of all of us. You're present to bless. And so we ask for your blessing as we study your word this morning and hear from you. And may Jesus Christ be honored in all that we do. In his name we pray. Amen. A common question that people ask in one way or another is, what is God's will for my life? And usually when that question is being asked, it's the big stuff. Should I, should I accept this job offer? Is this the right person for me to marry? Do we stay in Denver? Do we move somewhere else? Things like that. If you come to one of us pastors with a question like that, we're going to say something like, it depends. <laughs> it depends on your life situation, your motives, your temptations, your gifting, your resources. It depends on a lot of things. The answer is different for everybody. But there is something that God wills for you that is the same for everybody. It doesn't depend on your life situation at all. We can say with absolute confidence that God's will for you is to be joyful, to be prayerful, and to be grateful. Because that's what God's Word plainly says to us in this text. Rejoice always. That's be joyful. Pray without ceasing. Be prayerful. And give thanks in all circumstances. Be grateful. This is the will of God for you. <laughs> that's plain. That's for all of us. This is what He tells us to do. Always without ceasing, and in all circumstances. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. That's God's will for us. However, there is one important qualification. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These commands are for those who are in Christ, meaning people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. This was written to a church. 
It's for people who are in a living relationship with Jesus who gave his life to pay for our sins. Those are the people who are called to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks because we have every reason to do these things. We covered the first two of these commands in our previous messages on humility and joy. Rejoice always is what you're going to do if you know Christ as your surpassing treasure. We dealt with that last week. Pray without ceasing is an expression of humility. It's a recognition that we need God, and so we're always talking to Him. The third one, give thanks or gratitude, is what we'll talk about today, about what gratitude is, what there is to be thankful for, and how to cultivate a grateful heart. But before we do that, let's just stop and appreciate what God is saying to us here. Isn't God's will so good for us? These are the things that He wants us to experience, to be joyful, to be prayerfully humble, to be grateful. That is all good stuff. He wants this for us. He wants us to experience this together. This is supposed to be our, our community vibe, so to speak, because again, this was written to a church. It's, it's what His will is for you individually, but it's His will for us together, that this should be our, our, our environment. Doesn't that sound like an oasis in the world where we experience so much of the opposite. There's so much despair and arrogance and ingratitude and rudeness and, and self-focus and so on, and we've all partaken of those things. It's not all out there. That also finds a place in our hearts at times. But in relationship with Jesus Christ, those things begin to fall away, and then we become transformed people. We become joyful and prayerfully humble and grateful. He moves, He moves, He changes us. But it does require some action on our part, which is why these are commands. We have reason to be joyful, prayerful, and grateful, but we don't always lay hold of those things. So, Let's take a look at the will of God for us this morning in the area of gratitude. <clears throat> I want to start with an observation. Gratitude is not the same as joy. It's not the same as joy. The Apostle Paul who wrote this speaks about joy and gratitude separate, separately. Rejoice always and also give thanks. Those are things that fit well together, but they are not identical. For example, you can have joy without gratitude. Maybe this happened to you as a child. Might have had a birthday party, and a bunch of people came over. Maybe your aunt was there. <clears throat> and let's say your aunt gives you a birthday present. And it's the thing you've been wanting. And it's, oh, man, I want this thing. It's a toy. It's a coloring book. It's a whatever. But like, there's excitement all of a sudden. But those magic words don't come out. And the mom has to intervene. What do we say? Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> because you can be joyful, but not grateful. Jesus healed 10 lepers one day in Luke chapter 17. 10. They all went away cleansed. Only one returned, fell on his face, 
at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. And Jesus commented, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Well, the nine went away glad, but not grateful. And that can happen. We can have joy. We can have joy, but not gratitude. You can also have gratitude without joy. I think about the earthquake victims in Turkey. A person might have been pulled from the rubble, their lives shattered, but they'll still be grateful for a blanket, for medical attention, for food and water from a, a relief worker. The prophet Jonah, who was running away from God, got swallowed by a great fish. Not a great place to be. But in repentance inside this fish, he turned to God in his misery and he said, but I will with the voice of thanksgiving sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In his misery, Jonah remembered gratitude. We'll come back to that later because the command to give thanks is in all circumstances, including the bad ones. So what is gratitude? I think a definition would be helpful. Here's how I would word it. Gratitude is the feeling and showing appreciation for a kindness received. Gratitude is feeling and showing appreciation for a kindness received. So it's both an emotion and an action. I appreciate something I've received, and I will demonstrate that appreciation by giving thanks. Now, that implies, of course, that there is someone to thank. If you're a receiver, then there is a giver. Someone else has done to you a kindness or met your need, and the right thing to do is to express gratitude towards them. And we instinctively know that. So, like, what does every winner do at the Academy Awards when they get up and they give their speech? They start with, I'd like to thank the Academy, I'd like to thank the director, and they're right on down the line. They're always up there thanking people, right? If they didn't do that, we'd say, something's off with this guy. <laughs> you know, like, there's a whole bunch of people responsible for you being up there, uh, and we're one of them, you know, they say my name. Like, we, we just inherently know there should be thanks when you've, been, when you've received something from somebody else. Well, it's appropriate to say thanks to the person who gave it to you. But the ultimate person to thank in everything is God himself. He's the ultimate giver of all good things. Paul assumes God is the one that we're giving thanks to in all circumstances because three other times in this letter to the Thessalonians, he makes that connection. Chapter 1, we give thanks to God for all of you. Chapter 2, we also thank God constantly for this. And then he explains what this is. Chapter 3, what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? So the assumption in chapter 5 is that God's will for us is to give thanks to God because He's the ultimate giver of all good things. We see that all throughout Scripture. Scripture bears out that we live in a God-created universe. And that all good things come from God, ultimately. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
That means everything that you can list, every good thing you can experience is from above. Your birthday present, your job offer, your neighbor who shoveled the snow off your sidewalk last week. That didn't just come from the people who gave it to you. That came from above. That came from the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, Your Father who is in heaven makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We just take it for granted that the sun comes up every day. But the reason that it does come up every day is not just because the earth is spinning on its axis and the sun is a fixed point relative to the earth, and we'll see it again as soon as we complete another rotation, though all of that is true. But that's not the whole story. The bigger story is that the sun comes up and the rain comes down because God made it happen. He's upholding the universe by the word of His power. He's giving us the necessary ingredients for life every single day. So we live in a God-created and God-governed universe, and He's the one who has given us every breath. That's what Acts 17.25 says. The God who made the world and everything in it gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That covers it. It comes from God. This is His world. This is my Father's world. There's a hymn that says that. And so we have Him to thank for it, for everything. But here's a problem. We don't naturally give thanks to God for these things. We ignore His part in it. And that's the reality that we've been living with since the beginning of mankind, and that deserves our attention. Here's a truth. Ingratitude is the result of human sin. Ingratitude, lack of gratitude. Paul described the default setting of the human condition ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden. He said this in Romans 1, 20 and 21. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's, that's the state of all mankind, naturally, now. That's how we come into this world. It says we know God exists, we know there's a powerful divine being who created the world, but we naturally live as if that weren't true. We live as, as if all of this just happened, or that the good things that happened, we're, we're the ones making it happen. Or we might live as if there's no good in anything. There is a consequence to that. If we don't wake up from our futile thinking, as Paul calls it, because in Romans, he goes on to say, the whole world will be held accountable to God. There will be God's judgment, God's wrath for those who live out their lives denying His existence and not giving Him thanks. It doesn't need to be that way, though. God forgives our ungratefulness and every sin that we 
that we commit in this life to all those who put their trust in Jesus as Savior. Paul said earlier in his letter to these same Thessalonian believers, he says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God sent His own Son to deliver us from the judgment that we deserve. He sent Him to come and die in our place for our sins on the cross so that anybody who puts their trust in Him looks to Him as the one who has come from heaven to rescue us, then there's complete forgiveness. Everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do. All the ingratitude, He's just saying, I laid that all on my Son, as if He did it. And now I'm going to treat you as if you were always grateful every moment of your life. That's how good God is. Jesus bore the wrath. He delivers us from the wrath to come. And when we embrace that reality, we become thankful people. We become thankful to God. Not only do we see that God is behind the sunrise and the sunset and the rain and the clouds, we also see this, that we're being treated better than we deserve every day. What we deserve is wrath. What we are given is forgiveness. We are being treated better than we deserve. That's what we, we realize when we are in Christ and we see how things really are from God's perspective. What becomes true of us is 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're destined for it now. If your hope is in Christ, you're destined for, it's going to happen, salvation, body and soul, eventually a new body in a new earth. That's good news. So here's one takeaway for all believers. We would do well to admit that our own lack of gratitude is not something we can justify given the grace of God to us in salvation. One thing my family knows about me from years of observation <laughs> is that I tend to dwell on the negatives of life and not on the positives of God's grace. Um, I read a story that reminds me of myself. <laughs> it was about Harry Truman. He's the president who replaced uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who died in office. So someone was expressing displeasure about his presidency, and he responded by describing some of his accomplishments, to which his antagonist said, yes, but what have you done for me lately? <laughs> what have you done lately? That's an attitude I've been guilty, be guilty of. And maybe you know it also. No matter what God has done for us in the past, no matter all the great things he's given me, including salvation, might feel justified because today is not a good day. What have you done for me today, Lord? Because I won't be thankful unless today I have what I want. That can be in our hearts. And we forget all that he's done and all that he's promised to do. And then that leads to an ongoing state of complaint, seeking sympathy, because there's always going to be something wrong something to complain about. 
We are broken people in a broken world. But in Jesus Christ, God is putting us back together. And one day, He's going to put the world back together also. Believers in Jesus are caught up into a story of salvation, not of destruction. And that's why the command is to give thanks in all circumstances, including the bad ones. When you don't have a job, when you don't have your health, when your life doesn't seem to be going in a good direction, you can give thanks in those situations. How can you do that? Because if you're a believer in Christ, then your big picture circumstances are really, really good. And they're the ones that will last forever. Gratitude flows from knowing all that we have in Christ. So what do we have in Christ? We've already touched on it, but let's be more specific. Because there's a treasure trove of good things that we have in Christ. So let me list some reasons we have to be grateful. This can't be comprehensive. I'll just point out three reasons we have to give thanks in all circumstances. And it starts with the gift of Jesus himself. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now he was referring to Jesus Christ as that gift. Because in context, he was urging the believers to give money to those who were in need, to give generously, and he couldn't end that topic without thanking God for his generosity to us by providing his own son. Now think about that. It means a real human being who was sinless, who is God become man, walked this same earth that you do, and he gave up his life for you. A person did that for you. It happened a long time ago, but it was for you, believer. A real death happened for you to save you. Out of his love for you personally, he died a horrible death on the cross, bearing God's wrath for the sins you committed and I committed. Jesus said of himself, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He actually did that. He did that for you, if you're a believer. More than that, he rose from the dead. He rules the world, and He rules it with you in mind, orchestrating all events according to His wise and loving plan for you. He doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't allow any suffering to, to touch you. It doesn't have a purpose. The afflictions never reach the wrong address. Somebody, I just read that recently. thought that was very insightful. It's always accompanied by the grace to get through it. Doesn't necessarily, we're not necessarily seeing that day by day, but that's the truth. See, Christianity is not just a set of doctrines to believe. It's a person to know. A person who died for you, who loves you, who is present with us by His Spirit. Jesus is our greatest reason to give thanks in all circumstances. 
Here's another reason. It's the security of our salvation. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. If anything that describes the world today and throughout history, it would be instability. Things are always changing. Peace never lasts. The economy goes up and down. We go up and down in our mood, in our life situations. Our world is very shakable. The next calamity is always just around the corner. But not so the kingdom that we have received in Christ. It cannot be shaken. We've become citizens of a kingdom without end. One where Jesus, our Savior, reigns even right now. It's an impregnable fortress against the powers of evil, and one day all powers of evil will be eradicated. Now, in this life, we still, we still feel the effects of sin and evil, but the consummation of God's kingdom is the renewed world where we live forever and nothing bad can ever happen again. And that is guaranteed for us. And so we can thank God in all circumstances in this life. We can also give thanks for the work of God's grace in other people. That's a recurring theme in the letter to the Thessalonians. And I think this aspect of gratitude is what's been such a staple of life in Sovereign Grace churches over our history. Right at the beginning of the letter to this church that he loved, Paul said, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that goes way beyond saying thank you at those appropriate moments where it's expected of you, (laughs) you know? Like, it would be wrong for me to not say something right now because you just did something good, so... (laughs) Like, here it comes, I'll say it. You know, this goes way beyond that. He's saying, we give thanks always for all of you. I mean, that, that's coming from this wellspring, this heart of thanksgiving as he's thinking about the church, as he's thinking about multiple individuals that he knows because he planted this church. And so he's thinking of faces and names, and he's thinking about specific things they did, their work, their labor, their faith. And he's saying, I'm thankful for you. I'm remembering you in my prayers. So that when he does say thank you in person, well, that's, that's, that's the tip of the iceberg underneath the, the wealth of thankfulness that's there, that he's been cultivating over time as he's thought about specific ways God has worked in people. There's a phrase that C.J. Mahaney coined, coined. He's one of the founders of our denomination. He says, we celebrate evidences of grace. That's what this is about. Evidences of grace. Evidences where we see God at work in people. Things that we notice. Things that we realize God has done that in you. And so I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to tell you. I see it in you. I'm going to thank God for you. We cultivate evidences of grace. We share evidences of grace. That's something that's been in our history. That's a virtue that we don't want to lose um, in our churches. We want to grow in it. It's so easy to become a fault finder. Because let's be honest, there are many faults to find. (laughs) 
I mean, they're there. We know it. <laughs> they're in the world. They're in us. And sometimes we need to address those faults directly. Sometimes we need correction. But the command in 1 Thessalonians is not be a complainer in all circumstances. It's give thanks in all circumstances. We do the first one naturally. It's the second one we have trouble with. <laughs> Why be, a fault, why be a fault finder? Why not choose to be a grace finder instead? I mean, I think you'll be happier. Everybody else will be happier too. Like, what a, what a great thing. Let's live that way. Um, and that's just being honest because God's grace is at work all around us. Every good thing is from Him, and it's happening every day. It's just what we choose to look at. It's what we choose to dwell on. So that leads to the last point, which is ways to practice or cult cultivate gratitude. So let's look at practices to cultivate gratitude. Like any virtue, if we're not intentional, then it's going to fall away. And that's why we're commanded to, to give thanks, to do something. We can do things to become grateful people. I'll just mention two. The first one is what to do with all the bad stuff that happens that we are tempted to be ungrateful. Because there's a lot of bad stuff, and that's the sort of thing that generally makes us ungrateful. But how can we like take the pressure off the pressure cooker of that bad stuff so that we're in a place to actually find thankfulness, find the good stuff, and see the bigger picture of God's grace? I'm going to say it this way. Learn to complain in God's direction. Learn to complain in God's direction. And this, that sounds strange, but here's what I mean. I'm not talking about just venting your frustrations with a whole bunch of attitude and self-pity, which is the way I like to complain. <clears throat> I'm thinking about the word complain in the generic sense of express dissatisfaction with something. There's a way to do that which gives us some emotional release without becoming sinful and unhelpful. Now, the example I'm thinking of is Psalm 62. This is a psalm David wrote when he was in one of his many tough situations, and here is his complaint, his expression of dissatisfaction about the way things were. It's in verses 3 and 4. It says, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So here's what's facing David. He's feeling attacked. He's feeling battered. He's on the verge of a breakdown, like a wall that's leaning and about to collapse. And this attack is coming from people who want to bring him down. They do it by telling lies, by hiding their true intentions. They speak blessing in His presence, but secretly they're scheming to bring about His downfall. That hurts. Maybe you've experienced something like that. It's, it's the backstab. It's the fake friend. It's that surprising rejection. So what do you do with that? Well, here's what David did. He brought it to the Lord. This is what's going on, and it hurts. But he didn't stop there. He chose to put that difficulty in the context of trust in God's salvation. Because here's the verses that bracket that. 
that complaint. Verses 2 and 6, they're almost identical. They're bookends to the complaint. Verse 2, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 6, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. What's David doing? He's not letting the present trouble eclipse the greater reality of God's grace in his life. He's totally honest about how things are, but he won't take that and let it take over his whole thought life. He's not going to charge God with wrong. He's going to put the present trouble in the context of God's faithfulness and God's salvation. And this all comes together in his exhortation to everyone who's going through troubles. He says in verse 8, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. That's what it means to complain in God's direction. You pour out your heart before Him, and you trust Him at all times. Together. It's like the child who goes to the daddy and she says, this hurts. And you go to your daddy because you know that he'll listen and that he wants to make everything better. (laughs) And God is our daddy who can make everything better and will. Salvation is guaranteed to his children. Put their trust in Christ. So that's how. I think we relieved the pressure of the bad stuff. I like what Thomas Watson said centuries ago. He wrote a book on contentment. He said, here is the difference between a holy complaint and a discontented complaint. In the one, we complain to God. In the other, we complain of God. Let's not complain of God when things are bad. Let's not charge Him with wrong. Let's complain to Him. Let's pour out our hearts to Him and trust that He is a refuge for us. And that gives us the emotional release to then do the opposite of complain, which is to genuinely give thanks in all circumstances. And so here's the positive way that we cultivate that, how we cultivate the gratitude. It's to, I'm going to say it this way, See the good. See the good. We have a mug that says that, which is where I got that from. I don't know who gave us the mug. I don't know if it was for me, but it should have been for me if it wasn't for me. See the good. It means make it a habit to look for evidences of God's grace in your life and in the lives of others. And there are practical ways we can do that besides getting a mug, though Get the mug. Here's the first. Remember God's grace at the beginning of the day. I'm helped by quoting Psalm 3-5 in the morning before I get out of bed. It says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. So I know right away before I even got out of bed, I woke up because God kept me alive all night. He sustained me. That must mean He has a plan for me today because I'm still here. So already, nothing has happened. I haven't gotten to my do list at all. God has already done something for me. He's already been gracious to me. That's seeing the good in the morning, remembering what's happening. Unless you pulled an all-nighter before you got here today, God did that for you. 
You slept, you woke again because he sustained you. He's active in your life for good. We can just think that. Or we can just get up and say, uh oh, I'm late, I'm out of here. What a terrible day this is going to be. Okay, so we can choose which one it's going to be. You can say Psalm 3 5 to yourself, or you can just go on with it and like start out in a bad place. <laughs> See the good in the morning. And remember God's grace during the day. If it's true that God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and that is true, then everywhere you look is some post-it note from God that says, I give this to you because I love you. It could be the sunrise, the sunset, the Rocky Mountains, the plants out there that are producing oxygen that we're breathing. It could be the smile on your child's face. It's all these common grace things that we see around us. But it goes beyond that to, to the kindnesses of people who are around you, the, the ways God is working in somebody else for you. This morning, let's just think about this. How many people are we benefiting from right now? Well, there are people who clean the bathrooms for us. There are people who put out signs, created the e-bulletin, welcomed us into the building. They're running sound, running projection, leading the worship, caring for kids, providing coffee. None of them have to do that. But God put it into everybody's hearts, and they all assembled here, and they did all of that so that we can be here right now listening to God's Word and being benefited by that. God's grace is all over us today. He's giving us gifts constantly through other people. And then there's His providential care, just the things that are happening to us throughout the day. You had some form of transportation that got you here. God provided that. You'll probably eat today. You have a place to sleep tonight. God has already been involved in your life. He's given you every single breath you've taken since you woke up and the ones before that. He's involved. So the point in all this is that we're not just artificially making up things to be grateful for. We're not just giving ourselves a pep talk. We're not just like denying everything and saying, I'm just going to think positive thoughts today. No, God is actually doing good things. He's actually being gracious to us. And we just have to see it. See the good. And that will help us to be genuinely grateful. Grateful people. I think that's why peace is linked with prayer and with thanksgiving in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we give thanks in prayer, what are we doing? We're remembering what God has done. Remember how, how faithful He's been. And that takes away the worry and the fear about what our future is going to be like because He's going to be there too. He's still going to be faithful there. And so we pray in a different way. <laughs> we pray with confidence. We remember God has been good to me. God is good. He will be good. And so we pray without despair. Finally, remember God's grace at the end of the day. Psalm 9.1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Now, are we going to have regrets at the end of every day? Are we going to have stuff that we didn't like? Yes, we will. 
But was God active in this day? Was God faithful to His promises today? Yes, He was, and He will be tomorrow also. So let's take, maybe it's at the end of the day, maybe you journal. It's a good practice. Just think, what did God do? Or just take 10 minutes at the end of your work day and go, okay, what did I see God do today? Where was He good? What's true? And if you can't remember it, if you can't see it, if it was really actually one of those days where, like, there wasn't... (laughs) You still have Jesus Christ. You still have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You still have the hope of eternal life. There's a way we can recount his wonderful deeds. Let me just close with the prayer that the Lord will help us to be a grateful people, to to spread gratitude to one another, to be infectious, to be like the good kind of virus, you know, the one that actually helps you. Uh, the gratitude virus. Let's just spread that one around, okay? Let, we can do that as we're all individually and then together remembering God's goodness because He is good and He is doing good. So I'm going to have the worship team come up and uh, let me pray. We thank You, Lord, um, because we have reasons to do it. We thank you for your inexpressible gift, the one there's no words for, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Would you help us to know him more and to take joy in him and see all that we have that you've given to us through him? If there's anyone that hasn't put their trust in you yet this morning, would this, or would you make this the time? Would, would, you, would you draw them in right now so they can get in on all this great stuff and, and have hope in a future? We thank you, Lord. We thank you for Christ and for eternal life and for your presence for good. In Jesus' name, amen.